Welcome back to an Omnia Paradis. I'm Jay here with Angela and I don't know and welcome to the cult of an Omnia Paradis. <laughs> That's one way. How susceptible do you think you would be to join a cult? I like to think that I would be able to spot it if I saw it, but at the same time, given how often I'm approached by different fringe religious groups, I feel like maybe they see something that I don't in myself. I mean, I think a better example, we should go back to 2014, 2015, where I was able to Avlov's dog you. Okay, that was a really weird, interesting one in a lifetime kind of thing, I think. Can you can you explain to the audience what you're getting defensive over here? <laughs> so basically, I don't know exactly how Jay did it, but every time she mentioned a piece of clothing that a current crush of mine was known to wear very widely amongst our friend group, every time Jay said the word flannel, I would cry. I don't know. I think that that generally speaks to am I susceptible to conditioning? Yes. Would I actively buy into said practices? Maybe not. Well, as we'll get into from this book, Scientology takes it slow. And then they give you the hard sell a few months later. I know. And I think they could get you in there for the first few months. I think where that comes in, just generally like any group that wanted to use any kind of like negative affirmation or negging to bring me in, anyone who tells me that I need to work on myself, I generally just get up and walk away from. There was this one time in high school when we, before Easter, generally you go to confession. So Catholic school, we did that as like a whole school-wide thing. When it came time for my class to go, I got assigned to a visiting priest who basically told me that I was a burden on any everyone in my life because... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like to go to bed at a set time. That was like the worst thing I like could think I could come up with like in terms of like actively defying rules. And I was like, I don't like to go to bed at my bedtime. So you know what? Sometimes I stay up until 10, 30, 11. And he was like, you are such a burden. Everyone in your life feels the impact of what you were doing. And I was like, thank you so much. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, have a nice day. I don't know if I would fall prey to Scientology, but maybe one of the like super positive Pelotoners so the basis of all of this is as Jay is on TikTok far too frequently, this time it was for good. One of my favorite TikTokers who I think I've introduced Angel to, um, White Woman Whisperer is her name, talked about this book when responding to some of her comments. I'm not gonna get into what it was, but she was being forced to do too much emotional labor and recommended this book and it looked cool. And I told Angela we should do it on the podcast. And so the name of the book is Cultish, The Language of Fantasism by Amanda... Montel. So a quick summary of the book, and we're gonna obviously go into it, but to start off with, it's just about the, obviously like the language that cult-ish groups use to bring in members and why and or how people fall prey to such things. Even as much as Angela's like, I wouldn't fall for it. Like how, as we will talk about later, some of the people most susceptible to falling into some of these cults are very educated people. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think the statistic was, it's like the more educated 
educated you are, actually the more likely you are to fall into a cultish group. So Amanda, just to give you guys some background here, she does have a degree in linguistics and I'm gonna read her author bio to you now. Amanda Montel is a writer, language scholar, and podcast host from Baltimore. She is the author of two critically acclaimed nonfiction books, Cultish, The Language of Fanaticism, and Word Slut, A Feminist Guide to Taking Back the English Language. Amanda's books have earned praise from the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, Kirkus Reviews, and more. And Amanda is currently developing Word Slut for television with FX Studios. Cultish is an indie bestseller and was named one of the best books of 2021 by NPR and other outlets and was a Goodreads Choice Awards top finalist. Amanda is also the creator and co-host of the podcast Sounds Like a Cult, which premiered in 2021. And she is a former reporter and essayist and served as the features and beauty editor for Who, What, Where. Like I said earlier, she has a degree in linguistics from NYU and she currently lives in Los Angeles with her partner, plants, and pets. Cool. Then her dad, oh, her oh, dad her grew. dad. Because he grew up in the Bay Area. he, one of the things I'm sure that drove her to write the book was her dad was in a cult. Mm-hmm. But this book goes from everything, talks about everything from actual cults like Tology, Jonestown, Heaven's Gate, and a few others, to cult-ish behavior and how those same practices can be used in organizations such as SoulCycle, Peloton, CrossFit, influencers, social media, and how it has evolved MLMs. Goodness gracious, how did I forget? My my boss babes. (laughs) So starting at the beginning of the book, one of the distinctions she makes that we want to reiterate is although some of these things we joke about like SoulCycle and MLMs are cult-ish, there is a big distinction in these groups. So a mental health counselor, Stephen Hassan, said the unhealthy cults, like the real, like the suicide cults, has used three kinds of deception. Omission of what you need to know, distortion to make whatever they're saying more acceptable, and outright lies. Instead of when you think of like soul cycle and some of the other ones, the ethical group will be upfront about what they believe in, what they want from you, and what you can expect from your membership. And leaving comes with you with any serious consequences. Mm-hmm. And I guess another one of stipulations we should put out before we begin is, as noted, Amanda studied linguistics. She is approaching cults and cultish-like groups from a linguistic platform. She is not set to analyze any of their behaviors, which she talks about pretty often in the book. So what she's doing is mainly honing in on the types of language and words that are used to bring people in. So that's where the majority of our focus is going to be today. She broke the book down into five parts. Mm-hmm. We're just going to go through each section and talk about you our know. feelings. And I think an overarching thing read that she paints early on is research data from 2019 found that four in 10 millennials don't identify with any religious affiliation. And this was up nearly 20 percentage points from seven years ago. And mm-hmm. I think this obviously is not a thing. We're not saying boo religion, as Angel said, she'd go to confession. It's a thing of the tie between religion, the unknown, and other things that people were getting from religion that although they wanted to let go of the traditional bounds of religion. They were looking for some of the same things like copy paste, same thing, new font kind of thing from other outlets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like community, purpose, acceptance, just from new forms, right? The things they're like typically looking for were meaning, purpose, a sense of 
community and ritual, which mm-hmm. is the one that I think touches on the fitness portions of it. And of course, we can't talk about linguistics without a little bit of language etymology here. So what Amanda covers in the first section of the book, cult, was a word that generally had religious connotations. It meant to worship generally something divine. And then culture, which then add on to cult, meant to preserve and oh it was to cultivate and preserve the mind and manners i feel like it's very fitting our first section we have part one called repeat after me which is your general introduction to cult language mm-hmm. and the parts i'm reading from are more focused on kind of like the why of why the language works and why people join so mm-hmm. modern cultures groups also feel comfortable in part because they help alleviate the anxious mayhem of living in a world that presents almost too many possibilities for who to be or at least she has had a therapist tell her flexibility without structure isn't flexibility at all it's just chaos that's how a lot of people's lives have been feeling especially post-pandemic this book came out in like what 2020 Mm -hmm. 2021 so it's definitely like in the phase of life in which we're currently living and something that i found interesting was compared to other developed nations the u.s boasts a particularly consistent relationship with cults in quotes which speaks to our brand of distinctly american tumult tumult yeah tumult Across the world, levels of religiosity tend to be lowest in countries with the highest standards of living, strong education, long life expectancy. But the U.S. is the exception in all of that. It's both highly developed and full of believers, even with all all our parts. Which is very surprising, but also not. Well, it's not like when she continues to... This inconsistency can be explained in part because while citizens of other advanced nations like Japan and Sweden enjoy a bevy of top-down resources including universal health care and all sorts of social safety nets, the U.S. is more of a free-for-all. The Japanese and Europeans know their governments will come to their aid in their hour of need, wrote Dr. David Ludden, a language psychologist at Georgia Ginwick College for Psychology Today. But America's laissez-faire atmosphere makes people feel all on their own. Hence why it's also at the same time not surprising. (laughs) What initially shocked me a little bit when I read that portion was just for all of the different resources and like religious freedoms that we have here, just like the fact that people are still like searching for something new and looking to create. I didn't necessarily understand it, but I guess like it makes sense. Like we, when you're a country like based off of what is our first amendment is like the freedom of religion. That's one of them in freedom of speech, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I guess it makes sense. It's just, it's very interesting to like see it in practice and then how it's changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think it's just the freedom of religion religion i think in america it's always the american dream do whatever be whatever it's like disneyland build your own perfect world build your own perfect everything everything is possible and like she was saying flexibility without structure is just chaos when you it's kind of like angela well knows like being on a dating app the infinite like when you went to high school and you saw boys what max you had like 200 to pick from you went to private school so what like maybe 100 oh god my class was majority girls there were like 30 guys in my class yeah so 30 guys as opposed to a dating app how many would let's say you swipe on 10 guys a day that's 70 a week that's double your class mm-hmm. and that's only if you swiped on 70 10 a day yeah like choice choice paradox isn't that like when there's too much choice there's no choice at all so like with so many religions with everything being like in america we're told like similarly to the the gaslighting of mlm jumping around here like when you don't do it when you don't when you follow these things and you still don't achieve it's your fault mm-hmm. so like i know she talked about a lot about 
brainwashing and how it's something that a lot of people have fought to have eliminated yeah. from the language when talking about cults. And I thought that that was pretty interesting. Because it can't be proven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can't be proven. And I guess like even when like they tried to conduct studies around it, gun to the head, most people like could make a choice to break away. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really interesting because as soon as I read that, I noticed how many times in a day I heard brainwashing used around me. Once you hear it, you can't not anymore. Seriously. And I think similarly, she talked about going off of that, like it also has to do a lot with like a leader, a power imbalance. And that power imbalance is built on the member's devotion, hero worship, and absolute trust, which frequently facilitates abuse on the part of the unaccountable leaders of these groups. Mm -hmm. Similarly, as she ends this section off, she talks about if the boundaries between cult and religion are already slippery, those between religion and culture are more porous still. Which, like, it definitely speaks to American culture. Oh, yeah. Like, religion runs everything in this country. We have zero separation of church and state. And then even if you're going to work, if you're shopping, if you're in a supermarket, wherever, like, I feel like you're always confronted with some kind of religious language or ritualistic behavior. Like, even, like, hashtag blessed, like I think she talked about in this first section, where it's, like, super common in our everyday vernacular. And I think rounding out this first section about language she says speech itself has the capacity to consummate actions thus exhibiting a level of intrinsic power plainest examples of performative language would be making a promise performing a wedding ceremony pronouncing a legal sentence and repeated over and over again speech has really meaningful consequential power to construct and constrain our reality was that too english major i mean i think it's just an excellent reminder that you need to think very carefully about the words that you're choosing and the words that people are using around you because nine times out of 10, they are not chosen lightly and you will not receive them lightly. We hear meaning in everything just as easily as like we see meaning and like gestures that like we make and others make like in our daily life. Nothing is insignificant. Going into the second section titled, Congratulations, you have been chosen to join the next evolutionary level above human. Yay us. <laughs> he starts off with the phrase drinking the cool which is actually a very offensive and like downplayed phrase I know I've used enough times. Did you not know where it came from? I knew where it came from, but I didn't. Well, one, it wasn't Kool-Aid. <laughs> it was not Kool-Aid. That's it like was... how people stopped drinking Corona beer with the coronavirus. It wasn't actual Kool-Aid. It was generic Kool-Aid. Oh yeah, it was called like Fruit Aid or something exactly. like that. <laughs> we shouldn't have just Kool-Aid like that. Yeah, so this section is all about... Um, Suicide cults. <laughs> yes. Trigger warning. She speaks quite a bit about Jonestown, Heaven's Gate. She makes references to a couple others. I think Cyanon? Yeah, but no, mainly Jonestown and Heaven's Gate. Cyanon's the one her father joined. Yeah. I believe. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for all of you out there who have heard drinking the Kool-Aid in your life, the phrase drinking the Kool-Aid, don't drink the Kool-Aid, I just drank the Kool-Aid, it's actually all in reference to the Jonestown mass suicide that happened in South America, right? They called it Guyana. Guyana. French Guyana? Yeah. French 
French Guiana. Something that I feel like we hear so blithely. Movies, television, our everyday life, I use it pretty blithely too, but now hearing what a strong reaction survivors have to this, I make my formal apologies and I will most definitely stop. Yep. To me, the most fascinating part, if I can wait on this depending on where Angela mm -hmm. wants to start, was like the psychology of it all, like how and why these people joined. Mm -hmm. So she talks about they use language, systemic techniques of conversion, conditioning, and coercion with language as their ultimate power tool. So first, it makes people feel special and understood. Mm -hmm. Angela, what can we do as you're struggling in life that we see you <laughs> and we hear you? We want you to know you have utmost potential if you just give us $10 million and give us your blood. Oh dear God. Is this what it would be like if I went to the Gratitude Cafe? Oh no, that's different. Okay. Quick interjection. The Gratitude Cafe is a vegan cafe based in LA and when you order, everything is an affirmation. So like you say, I am beautiful. And then your server repeats back to you, you are beautiful. And then they bring you your food. And they're all like, I am strong. And then they'll repeat it back to you. I haven't been, but I saw this on the internet. <laughs> the next step is to create a set of language that gets people to feel dependent on the leader such that life outside the group doesn't feel possible anymore. I know, which was really interesting to hear about like from the survivors of Heaven's Gate and Jonestown because the way that they described like how Jim Jones and I don't remember the Heaven's Gate guy's name. I just remember that his followers called him Doe, but they said like when they interacted with them, they felt like the most important person because they were able to pick up on every little thing when they spoke to them. Like they remembered their parents' names, their favorite color, favorite food, what they were really passionate about. And they were able to make each interaction with them seem so special because all of their likes, dislikes, hopes, dreams were mirrored back to them in a way that was presented as like so idealistic and as a part of this group culture. But at the same time, everyone within the group was having different experiences because these leaders were able to tailor each conversation so specifically. But at the same time, whenever they interacted in groups, obviously that couldn't happen, but all of the survivors noted that they would only focus in on the parts that resonated with them and they would try to forget all the rest. And that's not that hard to do when the first thing is to make you feel dependent on this leader, like desperate to believe and to get clarity and you're so desperate for yearning for something. That, like when someone tells you, hey, like got the magic right here, mm -hmm. it's second nature to want to do it. Squid games. Oh God, yes. Like I think particularly in Heaven's Gate, that's when they really like, that's when we really got the first look at what cultish language could do in creating the like us versus them dynamic. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with Heaven's Gate, the two founders, I will gather their names, but their followers called them T and Doe. And basically they sold their followers on the idea that a spaceship was coming to collect them to bring them up to heaven. And they all needed to purify their bodies and spirits and devote themselves to this way of life to make it on the spaceship to ascend. And Jim Jones was Bay Area mm -hmm. based and the people who flocked 
to him were actually a lot of BIPOC marginalized communities who mm-hmm. were feeling neglected by the systems in place and he would call things out the way other groups wouldn't. The phenomenon of followers mistaking say it like it is honesty which of course is an actual honesty just a lack of filter for the refreshing voice of anti-establishment ism. Dissent might feel familiar to anyone who's lived through the reign of a problematic populist such as the current leader of Russia, our ex-president, or the leader of the Nazi party. Their statements didn't contain any rational substance. The catchy phrases and zealous delivery were enough to win over in an audience. Which is just, it's not surprising. It's just so, it's mind-blowing for me. Like, phrases, like, we all know the phrase, like, for example, like, lock her up, Mm -hmm. was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. but it caught it resonated yeah like they're able to catch in on like quirky little sound bites that just sound so good to everyone they're like they're catchy easy to remember and the more people say them the more people just want to jump on them which is and similarly to another episode we recorded I talked about wanting cognitive ease which is where your thoughts and everything Mm -hmm. aligns and just makes sense so when someone says like this is what it is or let me just say I'm with you I drain the swamp I see that you're unhappy like Mm -hmm. like, yes drain the swamp it sounds very easy which comes to the term which led me to this book from the white woman whisperer a thought terminating cliche although it is not Amanda Montel's word it was coined in 1961 by the psychiatrist Robert J. Lifton and a thought terminating cliche refers to a catchphrase aimed at halting an argument from moving forward by discouraging critical thought. And we use them very often. So often. Such examples are it is what it is. Boys will be boys. Everything happens for a reason which in Greek life Angela and I know how much we all love that one. It's all God's plan. Don't think too hard about it. Mm -hmm. And not realizing that well some these phrases help give cognitive ease in the moment but they don't actually help you at all. Nope. It's like when single people are told it happens when you least expect it. Oh my god. We're doing a whole episode this later on. I guess now we would know that I have a big issue with like thought terminating cliches, particularly in the realm of like the dating world. Mm-hmm. Like a short glimpse of this that I'll go back to is like when people are like, you'll find it where you least expect it. Any person, and I'm not calling out Angela specifically, but this would apply to her. <laughs> if Angela's ever like, yeah, like I just stopped looking at house, like you were on a dating app for months. You were looking for it. Oh yeah, no, I I tell people, I like tell them, I'm like, okay, you need to make it through at least three months on a dating app to try and figure out where you stand with people. You definitely, it's much easier to change your tune and these thought terminating cliches are great when it's like, you don't really want to elaborate or you don't want to share your information, you want to gatekeep, whatever. But like, they're not helping you. They're not helping the person in the long run. Mm-hmm. One of my 2022 goals is to try to cut these from my vocabulary. I think we should all try to cut thought terminating cliches from our vocabulary Mm -hmm. because some of them are really ridiculous. I like the variations that they would use such as truth is a construct. Oh my god. None of this matters on a cosmic level. I hold space for multiple realities. Oh my god. To me like this is probably a really bad comparison but it really reminded me of when people say there are two sides to every story. Is that a thought for me? I don't think it is, but I feel like I've definitely seen it weaponized as a way to gaslight people. Mm -hmm. So like when they're talking about something that's happened to them and someone is like, well, there are two sides to every story. And it's like a way of making them rethink what they've said. Got it. And just to end out this section of the book, if it's, for example, hypothetically, if someone were to say it's all the media's fault, you quickly learn to use the media as 
as a scapegoat and not consider other causes for your suffering. If raising too many questions mean you simply don't have the gift of recognition, then eventually you're going to stop asking because the gift of recognition is what you want more than anything in the world. Mm -hmm. And then I think in Heaven's Gate too, where it just really went to another level was when they were all renamed. So oh, every, they're a Handmaid's Tale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, every follower had their had to choose a new first name with the suffix Audi added to the end. So like there were names like Thurston Audi, Sylvia Audi, Elaine Audi, Sarati, Evan Audi. Yeah, no. Yeah, you're at the same time being encouraged to embrace a new life, but also being like stripped of individuality. Well, more than that, like they tell you to join for that individuality. You're special, like, you're meant to mm -hmm. make a difference. Just we're gonna change and do everything and control you mm -hmm. through it. And we can't talk about cults, cult leaders, cult language without this lovely snippet. When a white man speaks confidently in public about big topics like God and government, many listeners are likely to listen by default to hear the deep pitch quote standard English dialect and trust it without much questioning. I hate that that's true. Like I hate that that's just where we are to this day. And then I thought it was very interesting that she called out some of the really big newscasters in the past 50 years because they have all been white males with deep voices that have been trustworthy because they're white males with deep voices. Yeah when you hear people say things in general how often even this podcast, like, do you ask, like, huh, is that true? Or when you hear something and you just don't feel like doing the research, because also, like, researching and, like, fact-checking everything is exhausting. You, you want to start out using reliable sources because there's just so much information out there that it feels like you could find a story on everything. Every other day, like, Miley Cyrus said she used to find stories about her being dead. Mm -hmm. People write absurd things, and it's up to you as a consumer of media to... No, I think that even goes into an interesting point because when she talks later in the book about like having system one thinking or system two thinking, system one thinkers rely a lot more on gut reactions based off of past experiences and knowledge that they've gained while system two need to sit down and do the research. And so if you're not interested in doing the research and you just wanna look at one source, like you're more likely to be led in a false direction. Mm -hmm. And also just on the whole voice thing, I've only recently learned since this podcast that I have a super annoying and kind of bimbo sounding voice. I feel like we've been telling you this. I did. I know, but I'd never heard it before. In my head, I sound so different right now than I'm going to when I listen back to this podcast. And I now understand why people never trust what I say. So you're saying cult leaders are right. <laughs> no, I'm not saying cult leaders are right. I'm saying that the general perception of how someone sounds relating to their level of intellect and trustworthiness throughout our American society apparently holds up in the way that people interact with me. Yep, mm -hmm. and continuing on. I know I'm just quoting her book, just it had so many like aha moments for me. I feel like I'd rather just read her words than like re-quote it and miss. Language doesn't work to manipulate people into believing things they don't wanna believe. Instead, it gives them a license to believe ideas they are already open to. So when I would say flannel and Angela would cry, <laughs> I didn't cause her to cry. She was already susceptible to performing said action. Because for those of you who are unaware, when I am really happy, I cry. So Jay was sparking a happy memory for me of said hot person and then I'd cry. Whether someone would say the term or she would see it, it was really a fun game we could play on campus. Yeah, for like 
four years. Mm-hmm. Man. Sapper Worf hypothesis in this. While language does influence our ability to conceive of ideas, it does not determine it. That is to say, we are still able to conceive of thoughts that don't match the language available to us. For example, just because one person might not know the color terms cyan and cerulean does not mean their visual systems cannot physically perceive the difference between the two. Well, I can see the difference. Well, apparently Andy and the Devil Wears product couldn't, so would he be cult susceptible? No, because you can see the difference. It's like when you hear them, you might not know, but like you can see the difference. But she looked at them and was like, they're the same color. Maybe. Oh, but we totally forgot about 3HL. Forget, skip. Potato, potato. Okay, all right, should, no, should no. we skip it? Go for it. So 3HO is the yoga cult that is still around right now, which most of you will be familiar with on a daily basis. Yogi Tea is their business. The popular one that's sold in stores. They have the detox teas, the calming teas. Continue. One of the things that I found particularly interesting, which is explored a little bit more later in the book, is that a lot of the larger cult enterprises have their own businesses attached to them that we are are pretty familiar with, like Yogi Tea. But they do such a good job of backstopping them that if you look into it, like you would have to like be three or four pages into a Google search to find their connection connection to 3HO. Figured maybe this would be a good time to talk about Heaven's Gate. It, we talk about Heaven's Gate and the Nike connection? No. I'll put it in the show notes, y'all. Oh, how they all died in Nikes. Yeah. I yeah. thought that was funny. Yeah, the Nike shoes and the track suits that Nike then stopped making, but now have a huge cult following and they go for like $6,000 on eBay. Wait, so, oh, got it. Weird. I think we've said a lot about cults and obviously we have a lot of judgment around them, but something that is interesting is who is susceptible to joining a cult. And a common belief is that cult indoctrinators look for individuals who have psychological problems. Us. Because they're easier to <laughs> deceive. Well, recruiters say their ideal candidates were actually good-natured, self-service-minded, and sharp. Mm-hmm. Because apparently, actually, the more dissatisfied that you are with, or not dissatisfied, but apparently if you're like a grumpy person, you are less likely to join a cult because you are more likely to question their motives. Going back to Jonestown, black women perished in disproportionate numbers on that faithful day was because Jim Jones had ties to the right people. Angela Davis, the Black Panthers, the American Indian Movement, the reactionary nation of Islam. Many left-leaning Black pastors in San Francisco, not to mention his own rainbow family, seemed to offer a rare opportunity to be heard. Mm-hmm. He sold them on the idea of hope and like just the, telling them, like, give everything that they could to get to Jonestown, get to French Guyana, and then everything would be beautiful there. However, they were then all starving and living in tents without proper plumbing, water, food, medical attention. And even though a lot of them knew that there was something wrong and that this was not the idyllic society that they were promised, he put in a lot of stop gaps to keep them from speaking to each other mm-hmm. or to him about it. And he wouldn't let anyone leave either. He had the policy where when he was speaking, no one else could speak. So throughout the day, he would just project his voice all over the camp via speaker system for hours on end so 
that no one could speak to each other. Yup. Terrible man. Mm -hmm. Tyrannical. But now to get into the fun, the cult we all know and love, Tom Cruise, Leah Remini, ex-member, Elizabeth Moss. All about Scientology. I'm gonna read you the conversation of two Scientologists, of one to the other. Oh, I love this part. Wait, do you want me to be a Scientologist? No, it's because it's only one person talking. Okay. Do you want to read the translations? Like how- Yeah, I'll read the translation. Okay. No, well, no, it's like in between. So it's like, oh, okay. sorry, I have an ebook and Angela has a physical book. So I don't know if they're the same page numbers. What Got page it. is yours on? 135. Yeah, I'm on 116. Definitely okay. not. Okay, so. So two Scientologists meet on the street. It sounds like I'm setting up like a joke. <laughs> You can you can have the first line. How are you doing? Well, to tell you the truth, I've been a bit outrun. Rudiments. Tired, hungry, or upset. Because of a PTP. Present time problem. With my second dynamic, which just sounds also very BDSM. <laughs> Does. Romantic partner. Because of some bypass charge. Old negative energy that's resurfaced. Having to do with my mess. Matter, energy, space, and time something in the physical universe. At her apartment. When I moved in, I gave her an R factor. Reality factor, or a harsh talking to. And I thought we were in arc. Affinity, reality, and communication. A good state. About it. But lately she seems to have gone a bit PTS, so I recommend she sees the MAA. An officer in the C org. At the AO. Advanced organization. To blow some charge. <laughs> get rid of Engram energy. And to get her ethics in getting your Scientology shit together. He gave her a reveal. Auditing assessment. To F slash N. Floating needle. Sign of a completed audit. And VGIs. Very good indicators. But she did a roller coaster. Case that improves and worsens. So I think there's an SP somewhere on her line. Auditing and training measures. I tried to audit her myself, but she had a dirty needle. An irregular e-meter reading. And was acting really 1.1. Yeah. Covertly hostile. So I finally sent her to Quail. Qual. Qualifications division. To spot the N-theta on her lines. Something that happens if you've recently consumed black PR. Other than that, everything's fine. <laughs> Dear God. Okay, I swear if I heard that, I would be so freaked out. Like, yeah. okay, well, no, actually that's a lie. If I heard that now, I would be really freaked out. If I heard that before, I would be weirded out, but also lightly fascinated. I'd be sitting there trying to figure it out. Well, my I think it's just like the fact that like Tom Cruise speaks like this in his personal life. Oh my god, right? Okay, the audition for Tom Cruise's girlfriend. That was amazing. Oh my god, what is her? Her name is Cindy, right? I don't remember, but I'll explain the story while you look. Okay. So basically, author Amanda and her friend in LA got pulled by two Scientologists to take a personality quiz, which I love. And mm -hmm. obviously, two young women wanting a personality quiz, of course. So they take them to the big Scientology church, which apparently, from personal tales is very beautiful inside and like looks amazing mm -hmm. and they start out by giving you a personality quiz they separate the two girls and they give them this personality quiz a 90 minute personality quiz well there's a lot about our personalities we're very dynamic people and in that after they assess you and tell you why you're a terrible human and the classes you can purchase from them to fix yourself and it Scientology cult goes deeper and deeper and levels from there mm -hmm. but the craziest thing so Amanda met with Kathy Schenkelberg, who is a former Scientologist. She was an actress who was recruited into Scientology to, through an acting troupe that she was in in Chicago, and all of the actors, agents, writers, producers in the area were all Scientologists, so she joined up, and at one point she was actually brought in to 
audition for the part of Tom Cruise's girlfriend. She declined. She said it was really weird. She didn't want to be there and she asked to leave and they let her go. And then she found out a few weeks later that the part went to Katie Holmes. That's so weird. Right? So it's not that Tom Cruise brought Katie Holmes into Scientology. She was already in Scientology. Well, she was recruited to be his girlfriend, no? Well, like this actress was recruited through her troupe, but Katie Holmes was recruited and then got to audition for the part of his girlfriend. Right. But it sounds like they were already running auditions through other members who were already in Scientology. Got it. So we, that is not a fact in this book, but yeah. No bueno. Which also makes more sense as to how she then got out because I feel like it would have been a little bit harder if she had been a more recent convert maybe who knows yeah a lot of this section focuses in on amanda's brief dalliance with scientology and that personality quiz which i thought was amazing we totally forgot to mention this earlier but amanda's father like we noted he was uh briefly a part of a cult when his mother married his stepfather and he was 10 years old he was moved to a cult commune in northern california he ran away when he was 17 and when amanda was younger he would often tell her stories about what was going on and she was amazing intensely fascinated with them why she studies cults and language but one of the big things in Amanda's story in her brief Scientology time is that she knew what was going on but she had a best friend who was super fearless so she wanted to go along with what she was doing but she sat there and because she had been trained in cult processes as soon as they went in for the hard sell she got up and started yelling we are not interested we do not want to be a part of this. Well, that we need was, to leave now. That wasn't because of her dad. That was like her mom based on their experience with timeshares. Oh, that's right. Like you go and you get all the free stuff you want and then when they try to sell you, you give them a hard no. Mm-hmm. Do we know anyone with a timeshare? But going back to Scientology, a few of their principles are, so first that us against them mentality. They have ways of making you look at people who weren't in Scientology as less than. Mm-hmm. Also SPs, suppressive persons, a bad influence like a journalist or skeptical family member I was instantly labeled as PTS, potential trouble source in a new recruit's life. Additionally, one of their fun thought terminating cliches is pull it in, which means whatever negative experience you're having, it's no one's responsibility but yours. So crazy. So one of, as far as Scientology's language goes as well, their founder, leader, L. Ron Hubbard, he's written two Scientology dictionaries. And so- That whole dictionary thing is insane. Right? And so one of the things that like, I would just leave if I had to do anything like this, I would leave any religion that had a language this complex. Followers would have to do audits where they would have to go through passages and write down exactly what it was supposed to mean using Scientology language. And if they didn't get it correct, they would then have to go through the entire passage Mm -hmm. and look up every word in the dictionary to find its new meaning to then show that they understood the language and that they fully believed in it. Nope, not at all. While reading Scientology literature during a course or auditing session, a member must demonstrate that they fully understood every word in a text by the church's standards. You do this by grabbing 
grabbing a Scientology approved dictionary and looking up each MU you cross. If any new MU, which stood for, um, can you Google it? Yeah. Any new MUs appear, the original MUs entry, you have to look up those two, a dreaded process called word chain before you can continue reading. From the most obscure polysyllabic term down to the tiniest preposition, every new MU must be word cleared. If you look up an MU and still can't word clear it, you must track down its derivative, use it in a sentence, then sculpt a physical demo of the sentence using Play-Doh. Guys, you don't want to Google search MU. You get a lot of Scientology stuff. But what does it stand for? It won't tell me because apparently I now need to go through a word clearing to understand all of the words that MU understands. The very definition of MU is mutable and arbitrary in that it is a word that makes one frown or blink or stumble on a slow down on reading. Okay, cool. Ah, this is scary. <laughs> We're now moving to my favorite section of the book. I don't know, I don't know if this one's Angela's favorite too. Oh, or, I really liked this one. Or the next one. I'm gonna start with the first little message. Mm -hmm. Roses are red, money is green, the American dream is a pyramid scheme. I don't know about y'all, but like, again, did you remember where to sorority? I've only mentioned it a few times this episode. <laughs> I would love everyone to DM us and tell us how many of you in a sorority have gotten messages to this extent. Let's start out, hey girl, I love your post. You have such a fun energy. Have you ever thought about turning that energy into a side? hustle? Let me ask you a question, winky face. If there were a business where you could work part-time from home but still make a full-time living, would that be of interest to you at all? Because that's what I've been up to. Some people are super close-minded to this stuff like this, which limits them their opportunities, but you seem to be open to new things, which is exactly what it takes to be successful. Would you be down to hear more? I could call you sometime this week. It's way too much to type out. LOL. My number is, insert here, I look forward to hearing back from you. Boss babe. XOXL. I did go through my DMs because I, I don't delete them very often so I wanted to see how many I had I think I had 10 like actively in my inbox I think I had one or two. Oh, maybe I am more susceptible no one thinks I can be a boss babe <laughs> this section is all about MLMs <laughs> pyramid screams multi-level marketing corporation mm -hmm. also now known as network marketing direct, direct. Say. there are a few other fun terms I don't remember actually the podcast wild till nine with Laura DIY and her boyfriend Jeremy had their friend on a crypto craig who was in like he said he was in over like 60 mlms throughout his lifetime and like talked about how he got out of it and what he did in them and how many products and things he's been involved with. very fascinating to listen oh yeah that's a lot mm -hmm. so some of the mlms you all may have heard of are amway avon mary Kay, herbalife young living essential oils lula roe lipsense doTERRA 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 pampered chef rodan and fields Sensi, Airbon, Unique, and Tupperware. So is Tupperware a name, a name brand product? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I thought Tupperware was just like plastic things used. That's so mm -hmm. fascinating. So in my lifetime, I have been to Avon, Mary Kay, doTERRA, Pampered Chef, and Tupperware parties. You have? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... <laughs> Fun story, y'all. In the suburbs, these are pretty common. Well, or, yeah. I saw Shits Creek. Yeah. So in the suburbs, these were pretty common when I was growing up. So my mom and her friends used to go and like, I was asking her about this and she's like, yeah, I've been going to these since the seventies. She's like, you literally just go to eat the food and hang out with people. And then whenever they ask if you want to buy something, she's like, she's like, oh no, or I'm going to wait. Or I actually went to another party last week. So I'm all set. She's like, you make up whatever kind of excuses you can. So when I was little, 
little, I remember she would take me to some of these with her. They were put on by the moms of people in my classes mm -hmm. or like church, other people that she worked with, things like that. I will say it is hard to get nice essential oil blends if it's not through doTERRA or Young Living. Mm -hmm. Like I've tried to look some up and it's hard to find. I can normally find like single scents at the grocery store, but I was like, I'm not trying to make my own essential oil mix. Mm -hmm. I think we actually have some really nice cookware from Pampered Chef oh, that my them. mom got when I was like 10 and it's still in amazing condition. Yeah, but it was really funny too. She totally remembered Amway from the 70s when it first started. Well, the thing about Amway, boiler alert, that's just, that made me my mm -hmm. blood boil mm -hmm. and say founder of Amway is Rich Devoth. If that name sounds familiar, it is because he is a billionaire whose daughter, it was Betsy DeVos, the horrendous secretary of education under Cheeto Face. Mm -hmm. And just because I don't want to put her name in print, so I'll fact check it here. Betsy DeVos is his daughter-in-law. Oh. I just, I just didn't want to like write that and then have it associated with the podcast search. But yeah, I'm like, oh my God, some of these are mil are billionaires, which is nuts. And the other thing, which I didn't know, is like once they're finished here, they go international. Mm-hmm. Like these things still circulate internationally, which is nuts to me. Yeah. And then just really quick for Amway and Rich DeVos and how it talked about how money made through Amway is then circulated into politics. Yeah. Political campaigns. This is the dark money we were talking about in the voting rights episode. This is what those laws are trying to keep out at a very minimum, trying to bring transparency into on filing day. Mm-hmm. So remember, the Freedom to Vote Act. Gotta pass Amway. it, guys. Amway. Rich DeVos. Mm -hmm. I don't know about your experience in retail. I hated selling things. I would not want to do this in my spare time. Yeah, no, I wouldn't want to do this. I did almost join an MLM accidentally. Wait, really? One of the jobs I got like when I was trying to leave retail, remember? I've told, I called oh, my big because yeah. I was like, this sounds sketchy. And one was, well, the big, the big thing that should have been a bigger red flag is when they tell you it doesn't really matter how much money you make. They're just trying to get you to recruit other people. Mm-hmm. Now, one of our one of our friends actually ended up in an MLM that she didn't realize. Um, so yeah, basically in college, another friend was gifted a home spa night package for her and five of her friends. Yes. We were all invited. We then realized very quickly in that it was a sales pitch. Um, all of us declined, and like we like I think we were honestly finished in like 30 minutes because we just kept saying no to everything. But then she had all of of our personal information because our friend I guess she asked our friend for our phone numbers ahead of time so she started reaching out to us individually and one I've of our other that. yeah and one of our other friends she decided that she would sign up like she was looking for a new job she's like this is gonna be supposed to be like really easy and like flexible to our schedule and so when she told me that she was going to do it she was going to her very first yeah. meeting and she's like i don't want to go alone i don't know anyone do you want to come with me or why not there's gonna be dinner i know the game so did you tell her what it was i thought she knew <laughs> Okay. So I was like, oh, okay, sure. I'll go have dinner. Cause she's like, yeah, like there's supposed to be free dinner for all of us. I was like, yeah, awesome, cool, I'll go eat. We show up and then our friend was taken into this little room and she came back and she's like, okay. She's like, I'm really sorry. She's like, dinner isn't free tonight, but like, it's on me. Like you came out here and it's like, oh, okay. Like that's kind of weird. I was like, don't worry about it. Like I'll pay for my dinner. We left and she's like, I think I made a mistake. I don't think this is the group for me. And I was like, why? Well, like what's going on? She's like, well, I haven't sold anything yet. And she's like, 
you could only have free dinner if you sold and met your quota. She's like, but I just started three days ago. So how was I supposed to sell to anyone yet? She's like, I think I need to get out of here. Yeah, let's, let's get out. Let's turn around and never mm. come back. Oh, but he said a crazy fact, and you will have to fact check. He said something crazy, like 78% of all women who make over six figures, it's through MLM. That's lightly terrifying. But I mean, we have seen like some of these. Well, the Cadillac drivers. The pink yeah, the, the Mary Kay cars. Even like you've seen like the girls who all they wear are like the LuLaRoe leggings or everyone who, what's the nail polish one? They're not very big. I don't know. But there's a, yeah, someone, someone I know was doing the nail polish one and she gave me a bunch for Christmas. Yeah, I'm sorry, nope. MLM is just a Ponzi scheme that hasn't gotten caught. And yet there's been like this whole legal defense that's basically been set up for MLMs. I think through like Amway. through a Supreme Court ruling for yeah, for, for Amway. Amway. And so like just so long as they don't violate too many rules, they can still keep operating. However, a bunch of them came under fire during COVID because they were all promoting like, oh my god, like I've been making so much money, everyone else is out of a job, but my income is flowing. Like I made $5,000 this month. Come join me. Or don't want to catch COVID? Use this mascara. Use this oil. Well, I think while the internet at one point was kind of killing MLMs with Amazon, two-day delivery, Target, a mm -hmm. lot of these direct sales companies, social media brought it back. Mm -hmm. Hence all the funny messages that typically women get to do this kind of stuff. Oh my god. Seriously. What is it? There was one that I really liked. And they also, so they talked about MLMs and why they were for on oh. um, American Protestantism and the meritocracy. Mm -hmm. And meritocracy is founded on the tenet that people can control their lives in big ways that as long as they really try, they can pull themselves by their proverbial bootstraps, mm -hmm. which is bullshit. Completely. And then it, to go back on Protestantism, isn't it like, I think it's Mary Kay, God first, Mary- God, fa family, God, God, God family, God first, family second, Mary Kay third. Yeah. It's like their like slogan to live by. Well, it's not surprising that like women groups of where did people congregate church mm -hmm. women at church sorority women mm -hmm. like people who do i don't know how much like women in sports but mm -hmm. well no because um her her middle school friend was like didn't they meet playing soccer as kids or something like something like that yeah and then what they fell out of touch and then she popped back mm -hmm. up on facebook with oh and that too the social media posts that are scripted and made to be really mysterious so that way people have don't know to what reach product, out to you. They don't know what product they're at. Mm -hmm. The new one I've been seeing a lot is like, uh, I think it's alkaline water. Oh, I haven't seen that one. I don't know. Well, I don't, they don't tell you, but they tell you why drinking regular water isn't good and like putting salt in your water, like for the pH. I don't know. But like, yeah, there are some that are very descriptive where they're like, you don't post the product. You don't say you're in the business. You just post your result. Mm -hmm. I guess, are we ready to close out this section? Yes. All right. I'll close us out with one final boss babe message. Hey girl, I hate that I have to do this, but I just got word from the top and unfortunately, we're going to have to let you go. When you first joined my team, I was so excited about your potential, but despite all the time and effort we've put into growing you, it doesn't seem like you really wanted it. Some people aren't the right fit for this opportunity and trust me, as your upline, that's harder for me than it is for you. I'm going to have to remove you all from the Facebook group and deactivate your account. I guess you weren't a boss babe after all, X. <laughs> 
I mean, I think it's a. I would be so grateful if I got let go. I didn't know they did that. I thought you just like kept mm-hmm. suffering and putting money in and like drowning. No, like if you don't sell at all, you will get cut. I haven't heard that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've never. I'm. I've never been as close as you have been, Angela, <laughs> to the story. But yeah, so crazy. Now, the most controversial for the millennial fitness cults. In- this hour is gonna make you change your life and make you look awesome. I love the one that Amanda opened this up with. In I've been saying intensity in my head, but it's just, it's intensity, right? Oh, could be. I didn't even pay attention. <laughs> I was more looking forward to the ones that I know our friends participate in. Oh, okay. So really quick, one of the ones that Amanda actually ended up falling into as she was doing research for this was called Intensity. And it's founded by Patricia Moreno. And she calls it equal parts tenderness and ferocity. So basically, it's almost like this jazzercise type exercise routine but every move is labeled with an empowerment word like willpower strong brave abundance change your life and then you just chant through as you make all these movements willpower strong brave abundant i will change my life but to jay's jay's favorite one well to go back in history a little bit these places I mean, other than CrossFit, but maybe even that, cater towards women. Mm-hmm. And going into that, as recently as the 1950s, the medical community didn't even universally recommend exercise for women, mm-hmm. much less than they sweat their asses off while shouting empowering things about themselves in public multiple times a week. It wasn't until the late 60s when everyday Americans fully came around to the idea that working out to the point of perspiration was good for everyone. Mm-hmm. So in the 70s and 80s, with the women's liberation movement, as well as under the the passage of title nine which i feel like i want to do an episode on because i talk i hear and i reference title nine don't know i don't really know what it entails to be quite honest i know it's what allows single gendered organizations to exist oh you've never read it in the bathroom no oh yeah they usually have it in uh college campus restrooms yeah no never read. but with the passage of title nine and the invention of a sports bra women were poised to gather together and get fit so continuing off of that years and years and years and years later aerobics a rope. We get aerobics <laughs> and stuff. And then people were going to Planet Fitness, 24-hour fitness, normal gym type things. But recently, in the last like 15, 20 years or so, the audience to which cult fitness primarily caters to is urban-dwelling millennials with income despair overlaps quite precisely with the contingency that has renounced the traditional religion. For this population, wellness startups and influencers started doing the work of spiritual and community leaders. Mm-hmm. So yes, cult fitness includes smaller studios like CrossFit, SoulCycle, Berries, Barmet, Method, Peloton, Core Power Yoga, mm-hmm. and any spinoffs of these. Well, I don't go to Soul Cycle. I go to like Spin Spin. It's like it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. No, I think one of the really fun ones here is that she notes there's a place called Sandbox Fitness in LA where the room has actual sand in it and everyone's exercising on top of stationary surfboards. Fun. Yeah. I want to try the ones where you're on bungees, kind of like your baby jumping. Oh yeah, I really want to try that. You can't walk. I mean, but if you're in a harness it should be safe right you're gonna break an ankle you can still fall on your knee just because you're in a harness oh dang it all right we'll we'll look into that it's interesting that we don't acknowledge enough how much when you're working out puts you in a vulnerable state which is one of the appeals i think soul side class it's mm-hmm. in the dark mm-hmm. you can't really see anyone and like you're shouting like affirmations whether you believe them or not or how woohoo you think it is or not like mm-hmm. it like puts you at a moment in time with people similar to going to a sports game going to the theater going to somewhere where you don't necessarily have your phone 
phone and you're not like focused on your device the whole time. It's mm-hmm. like a community universal experience you guys are all having in that room together. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the facts in here that I thought was really interesting. So in 2018, the Multiple Chronic Conditions Resource Center found that 81% of American millennials were unsatisfied with their healthcare experience due to mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. from high insurance costs to institutional race and gender bias. And so they then started flocking into gyms and fitness centers more because that was them taking their health into their own hands. Similarly, in the U.S., we're taught to fetishize self-improvement. Fitness is a particular compelling form of self-improvement because it demonstrates classic American values like productivity, individualism, and a commitment to meeting normative beauty standards. Mm -hmm. So I think getting into cult followings was a little interesting because she notes in 2015, when interviewing SoulCycle's senior vice president, the company representative said, we don't use the word cult. We say community. Mm -hmm. And like, she was very clear, like she didn't want any kind of cultish cultish connotations, but then jump to 2018, 2019, they actively refer refer to themselves as having a cult following. Yeah. And a thing that, so now kind of the downfalls of these boutique fitness things, CrossFit is known to push people too hard. And the harder you work, the harder you throw up, the more injured you get, the more you're doing it right. And similarly to the MLMs, like, oh, your numbers aren't getting better. Like, what are you not doing enough? Why do you still suck? Mm-hmm. And I know some people who like CrossFit has been amazing for them and it's been transformative. Yeah. But then when you hear things like work out till you rabdo, like if you're not if you're not visited by Uncle Rabdo, you're who is that? What is that like? Reference to? So I think the word is rhabdomyolysis. I'm gonna have to fact check that. Mm-hmm. But basically it's when you push yourself through a workout so hard and it's so intense and so prolonged that your muscles start to break down and yeah, start no. releasing toxins into your body. Which can be deadly to your internal organs. Mm -hmm. And it's something that they praise there. Like they have posters in CrossFit gyms saluting Uncle Rabdo. Yeah, no, Mm -hmm. absolutely not. Additionally, not probably to the surprise of anyone, millions of folks who are BIPOC disabled and or above a size four whom the messaging of these studios often subtly or overtly ostracizes. Mm -hmm. Their perspective gospel says that if you don't succeed in becoming the picture flawless fitness, you don't acquire the six pack and the inner peace. Like, then you deserve to be unhappy and die early. You didn't manifest it. Mm-hmm. No, I think in terms of, like, the exclusionary aspect as well, they talk about how there's a known uniform that you have to wear to work out at these places where it has to be something from Lululemon or Outdoor Voices. Set Active. Set, like, anything like that where one item is generally over $100. And so there's a cost cap there as well. And, I mean, even for these classes, like, I've never taken a group fitness class like this. I think soul cycles are 35 mm-hmm. a piece or you can buy groupons or other deals with them and sometimes if you get in with the instructors they can give out free ones I've heard to do mm-hmm. and which I think there was a scandal about that in here kind of I mean the bigger thing is like let's not pretend these fitness influencers are just not like the new version of like the men who and women who'd work at Abercrombie like they, they grew up and worked at Abercrombie they grew up and now work at soul cycle they're, they're eye candy mm-hmm. they're they're traditionally attractive people who are have good eye candy whether they are men or which is why it's no surprise that there are influencers on another podcast pretty basic mm-hmm. remy speaks of the time she like like majorly flirted with a few instructors oh and my God. it's not uncommon because these people are hot mm-hmm. which is it is april sam sexual assault awareness month i did look into it a little bit and a lot of their policies don't have anything like super explicit about 
about it, but not dating students or clients is encouraged. And yet some of the interviewees that Amanda Montel spoke with said that they were actively encouraged to flirt and date and sleep with their clients to keep them coming back. Because also I believe our friend who does actively participate has told me that when classes are full, they get certain amounts of commission based off that, mm-hmm. even if they have to give classes away for free because it's yeah. their, their revenue model. And additionally, it's no surprise that with these trainers, do people go back to for the same trainer because they like their classes they like the personality just like an influencer or like mm-hmm. a class they keep going back these people also connect to other mlms and start selling essential oils or makeup or clean skincare because they have their following mm-hmm. which i think it takes us into our last section social media and social media spiritual gurus and influencers alike something that i don't know why didn't dawn on me really until hearing this book more like instagram made a very interesting choice saying that that you have fo- how many followers you have. Mm-hmm. Facebook's friends. MySpace was friends. Yes. Snapchat, you're a friend, but you have followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part six, follow for follow. Never do that. It's a scam. <laughs> yeah, like we used to assign like value to how many friends we had on Facebook, Snapchat, or anything like that. But people are obsessed with their follower accounts on Instagram. Not as much anymore with the growth of TikTok. But really? I mean, they are, but it's not as, it's not the, the gold standard anymore. Mm-hmm. But the thing with the internet, like everything, we talk about this in other episodes, but it's really important to look at the parasocial relationship, how much you really know about these people you're following and their teachings and what qualifies for them to teach you these things and mm-hmm. how someone with a huge following, there's one that like the author Amanda talked about who like now is like an anti-vaxxer who she unfollowed but used to follow years ago. Like spiritual people are on here making claims and using this to spread message of goodness and wellness, mm-hmm. but you have to look at motives and things that go along with it. Right. Like so many of them are encouraged to make celebrity friendships and things like that to then push their organizations up into what is the opposite of notoriety. Push their organizations to social acceptability and then to drive popularity. And also how scary these are. Like some of these people had quotes that were like looked like very positive. Like it's a good day for a good day and then would have like really dark detrimental things and other quotes from like mind conf and other things mm-hmm. like in the background of it. Oh yeah, the Q- the QAnon messaging. That's yeah. what that was. Yeah. The one that of course I can't find right now is I'm looking for, I think her name was Teal Swan. She gained a popular following on YouTube. Yeah. And she would actively encourage followers to... Unalive themselves. Un- or yeah, unalive themselves. Like she would tell them, you know, there's nothing more that I can do for you and if I can't do anything for you, then you're beyond help and your life is never gonna get better so you should just end it now. Well, it- she also brings up about that court case of that girlfriend who drove her yes. alive boyfriend to suicide. Another really good Dateline episode. The thing that I kind of took away from this more was I like the psychology 